Welcome out there, Internet land, for this extra spooky season, one of my very favorite times of year. And I am Bracey here for the Comic Crusaders, and today we are going to be speaking with the creators of the anthology horror film Symphony. Let's bring in some folks. Hello. Hi there. Yeah, many, many guests today, y'all. Hello. Hello. It's like the Mickey Mouse Club. (laughs) (laughs) Is that everybody? I thought we had one more coming in. There would be maybe Seb. Right. Oh, just switch your room. All right. So uh, first thing first, everybody, thank you so much for being here. Really enjoyed your films. I'm very excited to get this uh, chance to speak to you all and discuss the project. So first things first, uh, for those who don't know, can you tell the audience what exactly is Clubhouse Horror? How this all started? What's the the germination? And how did this go from uh, my understanding, like an online uh, uh sort of radio play anthology, if I'm correct, into uh, this film series here. Yeah, I guess I can speak to that, because the man uh, that should be here talking about it has not shown up yet. But, like, so I guess Clubhouse was this new social app at the time during uh, sort of, like, the start of COVID. And, you know, my partner, Sebastian Bazil, um you know, he was having writer's block one day with a project that we were working on. We were actually in the middle of producing a film that we were going to shoot down in Trinidad and Tobago. And with COVID, you know, everything stopped and he was just sort of working on some of our other projects and I guess got writer's block. And it was like 4 a.m. and he hopped on this thing called Clubhouse. Uh, and it's a sort of social only um, social media app. I mean, uh, audio only social media app. And, you know, uh, he got into a room that was focused on horror and he met all of these wonderful people that you see here. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I guess, you know, all these guys were just chatting about all things horror, the things that they love, the favorite movies. And it just turned out that everyone uh, also were aspiring filmmakers. And so he sort of just mentioned that, you know what, like, if you get me a script, if you get me a short 10 minute script, you know, I bet you I can convince my partner, Michael, who's me, uh, to, uh, you know, produce these films. And meanwhile, I have not had this conversation with him at all. (laughs) So, you know, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so the next morning he wakes up and he finds a script in his inbox and he reads it and he goes, this is great. And he's like, I guess we're doing this. And so he, he reaches out to me and he tells me, Hey, you know, I met all of these random strangers that were going to produce their films. <laughs> <laughs> so you can imagine it was a little crazy for me. Cause I was like, one, what the hell is clubhouse? <laughs> Two, uh, like, who are these people? <laughs> like what? So, uh, you know, it was a little strange because it was like the equivalent of just saying, hey, I met a bunch of random people on Facebook and we're just going to finance and produce their films. <laughs> and sure enough, like we, uh, you know, what happened was we did it. You know, I read one of the scripts and I realized I was like, hey, you know, these are actually really good. You know, so the next step was like, let's go on Zoom and make sure they're not like weird robots or fake like AI <laughs> talking to us. And so uh, <laughs> we did That's that. That's only a thing these days. <laughs> so, yeah. right? Make uh, sure we're not a catfish. Yeah. <laughs> and we just went with it you know we were like you know what we're gonna do this and so we uh we decided to just kind of go ahead and green light them as as they were coming in to make sure they were good and we just went right to production and here we are today ready to go wide release this weekend yeah i love it i love it i like uh having worked in a uh, comics off and on for the last few years i 
enjoy the process of like just getting on the internet. And it, it's like the cool kids just seem to always find each other, and uh, it just leads to a really amazing opportunity. So, really excited to hear how that all happened for you. I think you've actually answered one of my questions by giving me this little intro, though, uh, because I was going to ask, did you guys have like a an overview of things? Did you did you have your bookends and did you fit the stories for it? But it sounds like the stories came in. And then you develop the bookends to go around the story, and you you manage to have that thread of like the the song that goes on throughout the series. Yeah, so you know one of the things that was you know important was obviously we just didn't want to get a bunch of short films coming in because then all you're doing is watching a bunch of short films together. Mm-hmm. I mean, we knew that we wanted to come you know bring it out as a feature. So Sebastian and I you know really thought through what would work without you know having to create an extensive story to tie all these together. And so we just found this really effective way to, to use um, sort of a wraparound story, but with this common thread of using this song and this song is sort of interweaved within all of these different shorts. And that's, what's causing sort of the horror that's happening across all of them. And what's so great is like, you kind of experience the song in, in different genres that fit the different styles of these uh these shorts. So that's one of the real exciting things about it. You watch it and it's it's all over the place. Oh, we got a we got a new contestant. <laughs> hey Steve. And Sebastian did mention he did text me saying he's wait he's in a waiting room to come in, but I guess there's a limit to how many people are yeah. in the room. Uh yeah, apparently. Okay. So that's why my uh my my guy in the chair had to uh, step up there. Uh, okay. uh so I guess we'll uh, we'll figure out how to do that because uh, I'd love to get his input as well. Uh, the uh, the symphony song is very intriguing. I did appreciate the fact that it did go across several different genres. Oh, there he is. Oh, all right, that's fantastic. So the uh, is a uh, is a symphony something you had uh, uh, had somebody create for you? Or did you guys come up with the song? How did that come about? So we that's have a key feature, obviously. Yeah, we have a really fantastic composer, David Feslian, and, you know, one of the things we decided to do was, you know, we wanted a song, and so Sebastian and I and him kind of came together and just wrote wrote the lyrics to the song. And might I add you, I've never written a song before, so I'm like, <laughs> I don't know, does this even sound good? Like, you know, and but we did it, and, you know, me, with his capability, obviously, forefront and center, he was able to really kind of turn it into all of these different versions that fit these films. So uh, it was something that we definitely created from scratch, you know, as we put this film together. I like the uh, I, I don't know if you had a uh, a purpose for the song when you came into it, but like uh, as an audience uh, member, I do remember like trying to decipher it and figure out what was going on. And uh, just I think that's kind of fun as an audience, like, uh, trying to figure out, like, oh, you know, let you in your fortress, uh, like, your defenses come down, and just kind of you create your own story from that. And the various vocal styles that you chose for it, some of them, like, were really fun. It kind of turned into a fun pop song, and others were like, wow, this is really haunting, so kudos on that. One thing I did notice through the series is it seems to be, and I'm, I'm going to ask some of you guys in turn, uh, there feels like there's a strong theme of uh, witchcraft, and obviously we have the demonic presence of Symphony at the beginning and the end, and she'll, she pops up a little bit here and there. Uh, was that intentional, or did you? several of you guys just happen to say, like, hey, I feel like writing about witches? Mm-hmm. We, we were given a came- lot of latitude in, 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 what we, in the stories we told. Really, um, Sebastian and Michael, our executive producers, uh, gave us a few parameters. It, it should be 10 minutes or less. 
Um, you know, it should be scary. The concept should be something that if, if they were interested in it, it could be adapted, uh, expanded into a feature film. Uh, right. And then it needs to incorporate in some way this song. So beyond that, we were really, it was up to us to determine, you know, like what, what's the nature of the threat involved and, um, and, and even, you know, is it just, you know, what, what kind of, what subgenre of horror does it fall into? And, you know, and we range from slashers to, you know, to, uh, cryptids and, and, you know, witchcraft and, and, and of course comedy. You've got, uh, Haley mm-hmm. and, and Kimberly in particular, uh, writing some really funny pieces and, <laughs> oh, and, and, and pregnancies kind of a threat in a little way with, with Nicole's. Um, so we had a lot of leeway, which was really exciting as artists. We could explore whatever territory we wanted. So, um, so yeah. Um, and, and then uh, we did each find a way to tie in that song. And we, um, we asked our composer, David, to uh, help us um, turn it, you know, create a version of it that was most appropriate uh, to each of our stories. In my case, mine is set in Tennessee, where I live. Um, and so we, we chose a kind of folky Americana country version mm-hmm. of that song. And then you go to Kimberly's uh, and it's a very it's, it's more of a, a Kimberly. How would you describe it? Is it like a late 60s, early 70s style? Yeah, yeah, like really retro. I wanted to do something really timeless with it, uh, so you can't really place it, even though there's an Alexis in the uh, in the feature, in the film. Yeah. But that that really fit in with that whole uh, uh, happy homemaker sort of thing that you would see in the 1950s sort of sitcoms. You know, fathers knows best. So like, you guys really all uh, and your composer really did a fine job of crafting the song to each of your stories. So big uh, big props to that. Yeah, I couldn't help but notice the. Uh, a lot of the stories, I, I don't know if this was purposeful or not, uh, but it all felt very female centric from things that are, you know, uh, can be potentially uh, harrowing for a woman like pregnancy uh, to getting older. And then you had the the wife who appeared to be abused. Like, uh, again, is this something that you guys just individually thought of or are you guys like, hey, this might be an interesting story to tell as a thread that goes throughout the uh, stories? That's really interesting, Basie. I'd never actually thought about that, but I think actually most of the films have a female lead other than mm-hmm. Steven. What were you thinking? <laughs> Steven. Yeah. But I, I mean, I don't there, you know, there, there's a long tradition of having female protagonists, certainly mm-hmm. in the last 30, 40 years in horror films. Um, and, and, you know, a lot of horror, not all of it, but a lot of it is about vulnerability and, and obviously you know, there's uh, women experience vulnerability in society. Um, and uh, I, I think that's probably part of the connection there uh, uh, with female protagonists and horror. I don't, I don't know. Any, any other thoughts on that? Well, you guys have a balance between like uh, dealing with the, uh, the vulnerability of certain female issues and the things women have to go through. But there's also a, a strength that's lent to a number of the characters in the same right. Yeah. I think it's a couple of things in that more and more people in general of all diversity um, are able to make films. Now we have access mm-hmm. to equipment. We have uh, networks that can, you know, put us together. And this is a great opportunity for a lot of us women who um, have our stories and wanted to, uh, our executive producers are so wonderful and that they really made our voices um, important and, and, listened to us and honored our stories, which, I mean, you don't, you don't get that as a, a you know, a newbie. <laughs> so I'm just so honored um, to have been a part of it. And yeah, I come from like my, I've been a mom for 19 years and um, it really uh, when you've lived a long life and you get to tell your stories and kind of um, be a, uh, 
present on the screen for women that have been through similar things. It's just mm -hmm. a really special thing. Yeah, that's good. I mean, like, uh, obviously we all write from our, our experience or things that we, you know, become aware of. Uh, so it's really interesting to always get somebody's uh, perspective in their process, I find. Uh, and speaking of which, uh, what, well, uh, what brought you all into this, like the, the horror genre? What was the appeal? Is there a, you know, you're all just big nerds for horror like myself, or uh, is there something specifically uh, about horror in brief, if you will? Um, I think well, part of that had to do with Clubhouse and how it came together. So a lot of us met through the horror uh the horror clubhouse that Jed Shepard and Alex Neuer and Seb kind of put together. Uh, and then also in screenwriting rooms as well, where we tried to fight for the proper ways of writing screenplays uh, against some charlatans. Yes, absolute horror nerd. nerds. I think, as well. I think, yeah. I think what, what you were asking is, I think we all grew up watching. I mean, me personally, mm -hmm. certain things that I grew up watching, I was just way too young. <laughs> uh, to have watched them. And uh, videos um, from Mars, uh, Cat's Eyes, I saw when I was five or six, and then I couldn't sleep for six months. <laughs> I was terrified that little thing would come and take my uh, my breath. And, and and it's, you know, and thank God for my brother, Joe, who came to the Korean book and he would check under the bed just as a, a way of protecting me. And he was like, why are you watching those things? Uh, but I, I just couldn't stop. <laughs> you know, it, I love it's, it. It's it's, it it yeah. sounds it sounds so much like my own upbringing and just immediately drawn to it. And then you become fascinated with it. And once you become fascinated, you stop being afraid of it. And you're wondering how to uh, produce your own material. Mm -hmm. Let me get into some uh, specifics here. All right. Uh, I'm just going to go down my list here. Let's start with uh, Mother Love. So, Jason, this is going to be for you. Yeah. Uh, now, this was particularly interesting. I see that you had a mystical consultant for the film and she yeah. actually is the voice of one of your witches like how did that come yeah. about uh crystal mcknight she's one of our producers too um she happened to be a priestess and and knows about uh, these things and my big thing is i'm a little superstitious so i had her do kind of a cleansing mm -hmm. ritual i had her go through the script and make sure what we were saying wasn't like offensive or uh gonna trigger any kind of apocalypse or any of our crew <laughs> mysteriously dying um you know the stories of like poltergeist and some of the other yeah. stories of like people just mysteriously getting hurt or, or whatever i was like look whether people believe in that or not i wasn't going to take any chances with the lives of my crew and you know we we also did it during covid and we were very safe about that nobody on any of our sets got sick with covid which was amazing fantastic so i'd say all the blessings worked i'm, I'm going to mm -hmm. give crystal full full uh credit on that She's amazing. Now, one of the one of the things I found uh, kind of humorous about the film is as uh, as your lead is talking to her uh, her coven sisters over the phone. Uh, they're they're very nonchalant about the fact that there's a killer in her house. Yep. I mean, she's getting stabbed. Like, oh god, that sounds like that hurts a lot. And uh, I, I found that kind of funny. Can you? Uh, can you tell me about that? Uh, was that intentionally funny, or is like yeah. uh, what the kind of idea you know, was there? The whole thing, the whole concept from the beginning was kind of like Halloween meets the Evil Dead. So mm -hmm. you fully do that without the comedy aspect. And and actually at our premiere um, in New York recently, I never really realized how funny the film was until we mm -hmm. saw it with that audience who really was into it. 
and laughing at all the beats. And the fact that they were laughing during mine and then like being appalled, you know, when everything happens, I thought was a huge win. And then, uh, you know, the, the humor and, and Haley's and, and Kimmy's as well, just like played like just awesome on the big screen. And, and yeah, and, and I think that's one of the great things about the film is like, you're not just going to get one thing, like when it's gory and it's horror, it's horror. And when it's mm-hmm. funny or sweet, it's there. So there's really something for everyone, you know? Yeah, I really like the uh, Dutch angles uh, you're using as the camera sways back and forth as she's crawling down the hallway. That really just just ramped up the tension of that moment. Yeah, yeah. Uh, J- Jason's has a great kinetic energy to it. I mean, it just there's just a, a you know there's there's fun you know motion and 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 a lot of tension and and his his um uh, uh makeup and effects uh, artist especially like the you know the the protagonist. She just looks dreadful and, oh. and kind of beautiful at the, the same slit. time after she's the dead. The throat slit looked great. You know, yeah. It's I've, funny because... Yeah, go ahead. The throat slit's funny. I'm sure Mike's laughing, too, because it was kind of a big thing. Uh, I probably shouldn't get into the specifics of it. It, it became a thing. But Christine uh, Garalaga, our protagonist, was so amazing. Her emotional moments with the child, mm-hmm. just looking at him, what you saw in her face... And then when she needs to be a badass, she's a badass. And then it goes from there, her physicality. And then like Greg was saying, you know, Margaret, uh, Margaret Kerrigan, who did our makeup and effects, she has a company called Pandora Effects. They just killed it. Um, also, she co-created the mask of the Ripper with me. I did concept art. She sculpted it. They cast nice. it. She painted it. So that's an original character that we actually made uh, for the film. And, and it was just just such an extraordinary experience all the way through. You well, know. I did love the nod to Halloween with the clown mask and the POV as she charges out of the closet to try and defend herself and her child. So, yeah, uh, really effective stuff there. Thank you so much. Now, let me move on to uh, Forever Young, Haley. Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, imagine my delight when I find out that you not only wrote and direct this piece, but you also starred in it. And I've never had the opportunity to ask this. What is it like to direct yourself? Uh, it's it's challenging. It's definitely um, not an easy task, but it, it does help. I, um, you know, because I've written it and and I have been acting for a really long time and acting is kind of the the better skill, I guess I have or the, the one I'm the most comfortable in. Um, I've kind of been with, with the character before I step on set for a good, um, you know, since the second I put pen to paper. So it's, it's actually easy. It's more, I was more focused directing on the technical side of things and making sure the composition of the frame was correct rather than needing to necessarily be too worried about myself, I guess, because I, you know, I, I could tell exactly when I didn't um, say the lines as I had planned them for the weeks leading up to this in my head. Um, or if the, if, you know, whoever I'm playing off, if they can't respond to me in this way that I would like them to as a director, it's probably because I, as the actor, I'm not giving them the right kind of response. So um, I had a really good team too, though. I will say it would not have been possible without, um, without my producer, Tim Wilrich, who was there like every step of the way. He's also Mark's producer. Um, and we owe him, I think everything. And then my partner um, is also my cinematographer, Kieran Craig. And that is very handy when you have access to your partner, 24 mm. to your cinematographer 24 seven, because I really got to plan um, everything I wanted to do on set for the lead up to it with him. And he, so he, you know, it was almost like having a second director there who remembers, you know, if I'm focused on the acting side of things at the moment, 
he kind of knows, Hey, don't forget this bit. And you had wanted to do this. And, you know, we had the storyboards and the shot list and everything. So it was a real team effort, which I think it has to be when you have, you know, limited time. And also I've taken three of the roles um, on set, which probably should have been divvied out a bit more, but uh, I'm glad it was effective. I'm glad you mentioned that because in particular, I really like the cinematography of your particular piece uh, because there are multiple stories going on within yours. Like it, it goes like from one set piece to another set piece to another set piece. And I'll tell you the, the opening scene there, I was like, I could dive into this as like a, a comedy about a woman, uh, you know, beginning to hit that, hit that age period. Cause you can, uh, I'm 54 myself. So I, I remember like, Oh God, I'm actually getting old, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And just seeing like all the existential dread, that would have been a charming movie in and of itself to make. But then you, you highlight that with the, the eerie kind of slow mo dancing and, you know, then the, the blackout room. And then finally, that garishly lit, uh, you know, mm-hmm. 1990s uh, with all the tropes and, and trappings in there. It was like, so that was just lovely to see all that. Thank you. I, I, I'm so glad you caught all of that stuff too. Cause I, yeah. I, I've, I mean, I've been a filmmaker without being a director for a bit and I just love movies and love stylistic movies like, uh, and shows like Marvelous Mrs. Maisel where the camera is as much as part of, um, the story as the acting and the set, mm-hmm. you know, the props and everything to use to tell a story. Um, and so that, that was very fun. It was fun doing the color grade just to switch it up and go back to the throwback of the 2000s. And I'm glad that that comes across. Yeah, it, 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 you really sold it. It like, it looked perfect. I mean, it really looked like I was watching something from, uh, from back in that time once again. And I have to say that like, uh, listening to you, uh, talk with the veneer on with the braces and the, the extra list mm-hmm. that it added to your speech just sold it all the more. <laughs> it was very fun. I, I, I wore those probably a little bit longer than I needed to just because they were entertaining to myself. And of course, only Brittany looked good in those. So <laughs> <laughs> without question, there's, there is no other, no competition for her. That bit yeah. killed in the theater. That was, that <laughs> oh, I can imagine. Like that was. That was so good. <laughs> I mean, they're all they're all great, but like it 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 gets me in a different sort of way because being somebody who's a uh, who's older and uh, you know my formative years being the eighties through the nineties through the two thousands, like I remember that period with a, a great deal of clarity. So like that that just gave me the big nostalgia cu- chuckle. <laughs> all right, let's move on to the keeper and Wes. Yeah, let's see. Yeah. Uh, that's a Wes and me. Wes and I. Wes isn't here tonight, but uh, oh, okay. he and I created that together. And Wes and I are longtime collaborators. We ran a theater company together in Nashville, and so oh, it was fantastic. very natural for for Wes and me to uh, work together in in writing, producing, and directing the film. Now, one thing that uh, because you have the monster boy here, who is going to end up at the end of the book, in and we see him at the start in the the flashback sequence. I, I couldn't help but wonder. So we've we've got the same child actor, and uh, and the parents. It does look like the actors are the same as the uh, prologue, as they are here. And yet there's there's a sort of a, a favor to them. You know, the, the father seems to have the same sort of hairstyle and goatee. Is that is he meant? Are those meant to be the parents that we see in the opening, even though they're, they're different actors? So I'll have to I'll have to uh, ask Sebastian and Michael about that because they actually wrote the framing device using that same yes that same child actor. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I will say from the keeper, you know this this man, this woman, and this child 
come to this inn. They need a place to stay for the night. Um, we don't really know what their relationship is. Uh, we assume it's a husband, wife, son. But right. That's never, that's never actually stated. Um, so there's some intentional mystery around what is the relationship there and, uh, uh, you know, who's who's really pulling the strings. I think, you know, who's pulling the strings by the end of the short. But uh, in terms of the uh, the relationship of that that mysterious monster boy to the framing device, Mike or Sebastian, you guys want to talk about that? Uh, yes, look, the monster boy is basically, so it's, it's the baby in the beginning, that's the monster boy. So Symphony, it's, it's I guess she's, she's, a, she's the devil, or the de- she's a demon, and she's the one who sings when she sings her song, her voice, uh, that's what's causing all the calamities throughout the whole story. So that monster boy, basically, when she delivers the baby, and then she sings, and then she infuses something into the baby, and then the baby turns into a monster. And the baby basically, it's her, you know, it's a her, by the way. <laughs> the baby's a her, so that's why I keep referring to her for, for playing a boy. So she eats, you know, her parents. So it's all because of symphony. So symphony, so if you want to know the backstory of that, the symphony and is basically raising an army. That's the original idea. Okay. Originally, we had originally we had about twenty five kids in the script. It's like it's like a, a it's like a cult, and and she's raising all these kids. And then Mike and I we thought about it. We're like, there's just too way too many kids to have at the end. So the idea was to have a cult of kids that she's raising. Well, when you make the feature, <laughs> when you make the feature, yeah. So 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 uh, so that's 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 what's behind it. That's what. That's why symphony is in the beginning. Okay, that definitely makes uh, that definitely adds a level of clarity to the uh, the mother love story because I was wondering about that because we we see something at the end that I don't want to spoil. Uh, so like, you know, I, I want to get into some details, but like not spoil anything, obviously. So uh, that gives me some interesting uh, things to go off of now. As for uh, the keeper, you do a brilliant job. Uh, you guys do a brilliant job of. Uh, of not really misleading the audience, but uh, giving them clues to allow them to make certain uh, jumps in logic. And, uh, no. you know, if I, if this, if I just turned into this, not knowing it was a horror movie, I wouldn't necessarily be waiting for the other shoe to drop. Uh, but I thought that was very clever and very well executed as well. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, definitely we, we try to use misdirection and, and you go into this very, very clearly along, you know, this, this uh, man, woman, child, arrive at this the home of an innkeeper. He's opened up his home, turned into an inn, and he's got various guests staying with him. And uh, and pretty quickly, he can tell there's something really wrong with this family. And he is just as friendly a guy. He's maybe maybe so friendly that maybe there's something wrong with him, you know, who, mm-hmm. who knows. But but it, it, it seems pretty clear pretty quickly that, that uh, uh, it looks like a domestic violence situation to him and maybe something he hasn't faced before, but he wants to step in and help. Um, and he doesn't have a clue what's really going on. And we hope that, uh, you know, if we've done our jobs well as a, as writer and director, uh, Wes and I hope that we've, uh, that, uh, uh, people don't really guess, you know, what the real threat is until, uh, until it's revealed. Um, so yeah, there's a little bit of misdirection there, but, um, poor, poor, poor innkeeper, you know, what, what can you do? 
Mm-hmm. Well, I liked it. I liked it. it. It all felt very organic, very natural, the way it played out. And uh, all the all the cues that would lead you to make those assumptions uh, also felt very natural. So thank you. I was, and I'll, I was I'll in point it from the out. I do want to point out that our, um, you know, our, we have our innkeeper who's a, 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 an actor here in Nashville. We've worked with in theater for, for many years and then worked with him on several shows. And then the man, the woman and the child are in real life, actually husband, wife and son, uh, who are very involved in uh, the theater community there. They live in Orlando now, but they're really all three are so talented and they, they just played so well together. And I wondered like when we kind of set the, especially the man, man and woman at odds so strongly. Mm-hmm. How that was going to play? Oh boy, they they were just brilliant, um, and the the uh, the son is just as talented as as his mom and dad. So that was a, a I, fun family, uh, good family fun. Well, I, I did notice I did notice a number of you uh, ended up with uh, actors, uh, uh, families of actors. You know, like the Laszlo family in particular. Like the last one's like, oh, Laszlo, Laszlo, Laszlo. <laughs> it was like, oh, and oh, this is the son of this guy. This is going on here. It's like. So that was uh, pretty exciting that you found like these, you know, these generations of actors all uh, wherever you happen to be making your films. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I just to mention the Lazos, they, um, my friend Holly uh, is an actress and she's pregnant or, or was pregnant at the time. And um, she offered to let me use her house for the filming. And then she played the mother with her baby, her like soon to be born baby in her belly. And then her daughter um, who played the young version of my lead, was mm-hmm. also her, that's her daughter, and then her husband played the mysterious stranger. So yeah, it was pretty awesome to have them all there. And then um, shortly after the film, she actually had the baby, and I got to go meet him. It was like, yay! Oh my gosh, <laughs> my family's in it. <laughs> that's so fantastic. You know, like because I was going to ask you guys where you uh you secured some of your talent, but like you seem to have been very lucky to find these entire families of actors, and and just must have made things so much simpler. I used to uh uh make my own short horror films myself and like trying to wrangle people to get in your film was, uh, was one of the most difficult parts of the whole process. Let's see here. Do, 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 uh, limited edition. So this is going to be from Mark. Now, Mark, you had a really intriguing idea in your story, something I hadn't seen before. I do like movies about witchcraft because people, people play with witches a bit differently than they do uh, say like a sorcerer in a film. Uh, there's a, there's a, uh, a quality to the magic witches use that leave people wondering what's actually going on. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about this idea of uh, stealing a moment of time and what that represents and the power that you get from that? Yeah, it, it's, it's a really interesting point you make because when I wrote it, I had absolutely no intention of making a witchcraft film, and I, and it's but I but I can see with all that imagery, with the the writing, with the books, why people yeah. would uh, leap to that conclusion. But it's really what I'm trying to do there is start a um, start an origin story about um, a particular uh, clans of women with a particular gift um, that are capturing. Moments in time. I, I live in Oxford in the UK, and we have some of the most um, ancient libraries available. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just think as I'm walking past through the streets of the moments, the moments of knowledge, the, the, the power these libraries have amassed, if you understand what's being captured in these books. And I thought, what if that's literal? Oh, I love that idea. Swallowing 
um, stealing moments in time, stealing fabric from the universe. And um, that's built into into this story, which, again, we were asked to provide ideas which might be extendable to features. So I went uh, high concept and, um, and for a short, uh, reasonably broad canvas. We did six different locations, all external, shooting in daylight, three company moves over two days. And we did um, the vehicular stuff too, to just give it that expansive feel. Um, so I'm quite quite pleased with what we managed to land on the screen to thank Seb and Mike for their trust in us, having never met us before, you know. And then you like you continue that theme of history, like uh, you have that beautiful car as a set piece in the film as well. So like that just, even though it's more recent history, and uh, I can I can see where you get that inspiration. I mean, like living in a in a place like the UK where you have like all those centuries of history built up. You know, I live in America, so it's a very young country by comparison. You know, like nothing's almost nothing's built out of stone here. Boy, I can I can. It gives me so much more actually hearing that from you. <laughs> oh, thank you. You're welcome. I mean, the, the Bodleian Library um, that's in the opening shot, I think, was founded before America, <laughs> right? Which is quite a thought, you know, in terms of just the passage of time. Um, but um, no, I'm, I'm, I'm delighted. I mean, we, we 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 were concerned that there were so many glares and and would they come across. And I think it's probably one you have to rewatch a couple of times to spot all of the visual cues that we packed in because mm-hmm. the moment capture is done by uh, almost like reading like Braille, hidden hidden in the paper. So when the lead character is at the start, um, starting the moment capture, that's really, unless you spot a, a small bit at the end of the film, picked up in, the, in, a, in a second viewing. So I hope people enjoy it like okay, that. Okay, I kind of thought that might be the case, but I wasn't 100% sure. And the, the thing that led me to thinking that it was uh, more of a Roycecraft before you explained your, your magic system a little bit uh, was the thing the antagonist was doing, like the, the, the rake across the face and the knife in the belly, but it's done in a sort of a dream-like uh, you know, it's quality. So, like, you're, is it happening? Is this part of a spell? Is this how a spell works? Or is there an actual physical thing that's going on that our uh, protagonist isn't aware of uh, well, because I, it's being I, obscured by a glamour of some sort? Thank you so much for asking that because the, the the actors were peppering me with the same questions as we were going in through pre-production. And the way I explained it was that we are filming a duality and, and, a, and a dreamlike state is a really good way to describe it. And um, when those moments start to punctuate through, when you see her actually attacking um you, you're kind of popping through the duality uh, that we start living in in the, the the very final act that you move through and then again we did this practical effect which you really can see when you're watching on the big screen where um the character steps out of her moment we buzz through time and then she's there behind her mm-hmm. with her own body in the Morgan, which happens to be the body of my girlfriend, who's kept <laughs> him, bless her, to be the cadaver. Um, and we, we take the lens off the camera in practical fashion, flood the, um, the sensor, um, move the car, and replace the lens. So we didn't do that with VFX. That's an old-school practical effect that we okay. um, placed in. 
Yeah, I used to uh, I used to study the craft a bit and uh, try and apply things like lens whacking and other uh, in-camera effects. Yeah. So I have a I'm, I'm being the age I am, I'm very much into old school uh, effects, uh, both cinematic and uh, uh, practical effects. It, but I understand there is a place for CGI. It's just the overuse of it that's annoying. Agreed. Absolutely agree. Let's see. Ah, now. Uh, by the way, I will say, given that is an orient, origin story, you've hooked me. I want to see more. <laughs> me too. Now we, move, now we move on to uh, perhaps the most charming story, Do Us Part. Uh, this was delightful in the fact that it, it steps away from horror, even though there's definitely a, a, a kind of a playful dread to it. And uh, when I look at uh, when I look at this, uh, first thing I've got to say, I like the very clever sort of sixth sense way that you're doing things here, because at first you're like, oh, is, is there trouble in the marriage? He's ignoring her. What's going on? So I I just love the setup of that so much. Thank you so much. Yeah, I really wanted to play in the space of of pushing the boundaries of what horror could be because we've always used horror to explore um, things that are in our everyday life and, and grief and relationships are some of the, the two biggest things that we will ever have to deal with as adult human beings. And um, they're horrifying in their own right. And I think perhaps making them funny and silly and romantic is harder than making them scary. <laughs> I have to ask you a question. I want to, I want you to answer this in a way that's not going to spoil things for people. Uh, I almost feel bad about trying to ask it. But when I look at the film and I look at the relationship between the husband and the wife throughout the film and the things that you see that are going on, and he's aware, is he suicidal or is he just in that deep a sort of mourning? I, I think it's, potentially just the rawness of grief that he's unaware of his surroundings, almost like, um, you know, in like a, a Looney Tune cartoon where um, the characters running through all of these things, like the anvil dropping on their head, mm-hmm. and, you know, like the cannonball being shot at them and they, and they make it to work on time. Like he's just kind of bumbling through life um, because the grief is so raw and all, all, all present. Yeah, because he's he's hand waving off stuff that should be a tremendous red flag to anybody else. I mean, he's actively being haunted, and he just mm-hmm. is completely unaware of it. You know, like the toasters on the floor is like, what's that doing in here? <laughs> but I I also love the fact that despite that there's this uh this horrific element going on in the midst of uh, his pain and his grief, that it's still a love story and. That was a real surprise. I mean, like it, when you see what's going on with the wife's side of things, because you do get to see both sides of things, it is it is so bittersweet and so charming at the same time. And it does tug at your heartstrings. So a really well done piece of film there. Oh, thank you so much. Well, you're welcome. Like you, you nailed it. Okay. Uh, well, we do not have Tabitha's director here, so... Maternally damned. Speaking of our uh, our recent family of actors and actresses, now when I look at maternally damned, one thing I couldn't help but notice right away is when they are talking about the the night of passion, which led to the baby, and uh, you know the one sister says like, "Hey, bitchy!" Like, "Oh, he just nibbled." 
And she's like, well, you know, that can turn the baby. And so once again, I go like, are these women witches? Does she know this guy's a vampire? How does she know that? What's going on here? Can you explain that a little bit? Sure. Uh, some of the inspiration for that character is my daughter, who is like completely enamored with Twilight, which is <laughs> like, you know, just this teen that's like head over heels for, um, for horror and for vampires. And um, in that sequence, uh, you go past the the, do- the young character. She's holding a book that says Eternal Thirst. And she's like decked out and kind of goth and her. That's okay. Her I daughter. couldn't quite see the title when I was looking. Yeah. It. Yeah. My friend designed that um, a fake book cover. It's pretty awesome. Nice. Uh, yeah. And so she's supposed to be just this like person who's kind of obsessed and keeps like everything she says is a little bit vampire related. And her mom's like, oh, my gosh, come on. <laughs> the, the title of the book is Eternal Thirst. Is that yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that was awesome. I, I wondered if that was real or not. It was such a great title. Yeah, it was written by my daughter. <laughs> uh, that's that's a that's a wonderful like a little uh, piece of set dressing. It reminds me of like when a uh, Ram Zavi did a House of a Thousand Corpses, and one thing that just got me to laugh in the midst of like that that gruesome grindhouse gore fest was the 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 giant guy eating a bowl of Agatha Krispies, and like yeah. <laughs> that's so cute. Like I love stuff like that. Yeah, me too. Now, the uh, we have seen films where uh, pregnancy has been treated as a body horror before, but you put a unique twist on it. Where did that idea come from? Um, well, I don't want to give away the ending, um, right. but for me, uh, I my mom loved being pregnant. She would talk about it like it's this magical thing, is the best time of her life. And for me, I've had two children, and I love my children. I love being a mom, but the pregnancy part of it was miserable. My body <laughs> not like it. <laughs> it felt very alien. It felt sick, uh, especially the first pregnancy. You were like, what is happening? Is this normal? Is this normal? Is this normal? And so when I was thinking of you know, things that terrify me, things that I can write about, um, and also things that have heart and that, you know, or allow people to kind of work through something mm-hmm. in watching this. Uh, they get scared together. They can laugh together. They have this um, relief together at the end. Um, it was being a mom and being, you know, ex- sharing that experience of pregnancy being scary, and that's okay. And yeah, then, I think, oh, go ahead, please. Oh, just the the ending is that I really wanted to give her power and reward her for all this pain and suffering she's been through. And so when she, um, the very ending is meant to be, um, yeah, that she becomes powerful. Right. You know, I like the fact that she had such a uh, strong support system in her mother, uh, even though her like a uh, little sister's being a little, little goofy with the goth stuff. Like, you're like, Oh, she doesn't need that. Like stop saying weird stuff like that. But that was a uh, that was a lot of fun, and one of the things I enjoyed uh, was her keeping a journal of the pregnancy because she was so uh, deeply. I, I guess that was supposed to be your older sister and her younger sister. Uh, it, mom so by mistake, yeah. No, that's okay. So the mom passes away yeah. uh, initially, and then uh, she leaves behind two sisters, and the mm-hmm. the old the younger sister has a teenage daughter. Okay. Um, so yeah, it's a little sorry. I'm trying to keep a lot of details. A lot of films. No worries at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. The journal was uh, meant to be kind of a, a, a tool to pass time quickly because I knew I wanted to cover her entire pregnancy and give these mm-hmm. moments and also kind of escalate while she's writing. Like it's, she's processing these things happening to her body and wondering, is this normal? Is this supernatural? Like, am I going crazy? What's happening? So it was just a, a viewpoint into her mindset as well. Well, it definitely works great as a device for uh, for time lapse, but also for ex- exposition and uh, you know her own 
uh, internal struggle. And uh, I, I did like the part of like, you know, morning sickness, a scratch out all day sickness. Like so another <laughs> another cute little thing in the midst of like all this trauma that she's going through. Thank you. Yeah. You're welcome. Uh, do I yeah. do I understand correctly that you actually have the trailer? You're able to show the trailer on the stream. Al, can we do that? Supposedly, this Vipper asshole has clocked a dozen victims so far. Please don't make me think about that stuff right now. It's just me who hears you call. It's just the stuff. I don't think I'm going to make it, man. Trump, are you okay? Just let me try. Seriously. No, it's okay. We tried to warn her. Perhaps it's time to head back. about the film. <laughs> uh, that just puts a great big smile on my face. Well, I hope it looked good for you guys. Uh, on my end, the the trailer was kind of staggered. Uh, <laughs> looked fine on my end. Looked uh, good here. Yeah. Okay, that's good. That's good. I was worried. like, oh, geez, I hope this is not explained for everybody. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, it was like a, I don't know, it was just, just a technical issue on my end. Thankfully, just my end. Yeah, uh, the trailer looks great. And uh, when is the film going to be released and where can people see it? Uh, So the film is released this Friday uh, and it is going to be released on uh, mostly all major VOD platforms. And it also has a limited theatrical release in select markets as well. But primarily you can catch it on Apple TV, Amazon Prime, um, you know, Google Play. You know, there's a wide range of digital platforms out there that will have it. Oh, and uh, I don't think we got to talk about earworm yet uh, with Steve. Uh, yeah, let me. Uh, I'll mention yeah. the, uh, the the films that we didn't get to talk about. I didn't know if that was going to be uh, something that we could talk about, but uh, let's go ahead and talk about earworm. Uh, did Steve make it, or he's he's not here, right? Here he he's is. Here. He's here. Oh, I did make it. Okay, <laughs> I'd, I'd heard he wasn't going to be able to make it. So, uh, 
that's that's kind of why I skipped him. Oh, I've no been traveling today. I just just managed to uh, hop in here. <laughs> All right, fantastic. Uh, or not, but I'm happy oh, there you are up there, uh, Steve. So, <laughs> interesting thing. Uh, I did some research on parasites, and I'm kind of wondering mm-hmm. if this is where you went uh, because I was writing a story about uh, uh, zombies uh, based on parasitic mm-hmm. creatures, and I'm wondering if uh, if maybe you. Uh, ended up with some of the same research and the same thoughts because parasitic creatures, uh, fungi spores and other things can actually cause creatures to act in very abnormal ways uh, to the detriment of their health to facilitate the life cycle of the the fungus in question. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I definitely pulled from uh, a particular species of fungus that's known for uh, infecting insects, particularly ants. And mm. it drives them to, you know, operate you know, as a vehicle for spreading those spores to weird um, spots where it's going to best infect other creatures and things like that. And so, looking at that real life example, I'm like, okay, let's kind of dive into that. What if it, you know, crossed over to, you know, infecting people and mammals and stuff like that? And, you know, what would that look like? And then tying into the song, um, you know, what is the uh, creature infected experiencing? And so I start thinking, well, obviously, when perceiving this normally would, it's going to start hallucinating, you know. And what if this song getting stuck in the head is like the first symptom of of this parasitic fungus? Yeah, I love there's a there's a cleverness to that that the. Uh... You know, when we get a song stuck in our head, it's called an earworm. And, uh, you know, you play that up in the title and we literally see like earworms <laughs> later on. So that's, uh, that's a lot of fun there. And, uh, I do like the, uh, relationship between the, the father and the son quite a bit, uh, where you see the, uh, the father is maybe a little bit older and jaded about the job, whereas the son's still young and idealistic and has that integrity about him. Um, uh, how did you, uh, oh, I'm not sure what I was going to say with that, but the, uh, you know, the, the actors, I felt like really pulled that off well. And, uh, I like the way that you showed both the tension between them, but the fact that, you know, there's still a loving father and son, you know, he comes in with the cooler and says, Hey, you know, kind of, kind of offering the old olive branch. Yeah. Um, as I was kind of like working on writing the story, um, you know, fortunately, I have a much better relationship with my dad than these characters do. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's kind of poor from my own family experience of, like, times where it's like, hey, that's not how I want to approach this, or what What do you think there? And, like, you know, in, in every relationship, uh, be it family or, or otherwise, you know, there's always that push and pull of, like, I love you, but I disagree with you, and, and that kind of element here. Um so kind of pulling from that and also, uh, you know, a little bit of the humor in it, at least for me personally, is me and my dad always have songs stuck in our head. Like it's like all the time. <laughs> so we, we are, we are very, uh, subjective to, uh, uh, earworms. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Star Trek 2 just messed up everybody. <laughs> Weird things crawling out of people's ears. I I didn't like that your uh, your protagonist. Uh, he it's subtle. It, it's not explicitly shown, but I picked up on it. But your 
your protagonist seem to understand the danger and actually tries to take steps to prevent things from going further. And I thought that was a really nice touch uh, because a lot of films these days uh, have no concept of what it is to be subtle, especially, you know, films that come out in the summertime. It's all about, you know, the tent pole and the blockbuster. So I really appreciated seeing a touch like that. Yeah. Uh, Thomas uh, is, is a great actor. Like I, I've worked with him a couple of times in the past and he's really good at bringing subtlety to the performance. And like, also as far as like script goes, you know, I wanted it to kind of like play subtle, like, um, uh, a lot of my influences are much more like the suspense thriller environment. And, you know, I really wanted to kind of play with that with this story rather than it being like straight up like horror, having mm-hmm. that slow burn, that slow build as just little things get a little worse and a little worse. And not easy to do in a short form factor like that, but I think you achieved your goal. Thank you. I, I deeply appreciate that. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. Because it's like, like, Bracey? The, yes. Is it time? Are we done? Yes, yeah, it's, it's time. And what we could say, I think, believe that they believe all they achieved their goals, goals, making this amazing film right here called Symphony, which is right here dropping Friday, baby, on the 21st. All right. It's going to be VOD theaters everywhere, man. You got to make it pop up. This is the future of horror. All these people right here. And would you believe I was so soon? Platform, look at the good that came out of here. The future, for real. You're gonna dig it. It got witches, it got blood, it got gore, it got everything you want, and a whole lot more, baby. This is right up the alley for Halloween. You know what it is. So thank you guys. God bless each and every one of you on your journey. Everybody that's who then thank you. A big shout out to Stacy for doing what she was doing. For real, everybody do it up. I gotta see Symphony Part Two. Then I want to see individual stories, and I want to see more of your sick minds Damn right. on the screen. Let's make it happen, all right? Thank you. Thank you, guys. Bye, everybody. Bye. 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 Bye